This is episode 522 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. We've been talking about the higher Christian life for quite some time now, and today we will discover Jesus pointing to this manner of life, the abundant life as he called it in John 10.10, while he was trying to encourage Martha at the tomb of her brother, Lazarus. Do you remember the story? If so, we'll see Jesus offering us a life truly worth living and not one of mere existence or of just being alive. It's like the difference between experiencing an exhilarating life of wonder and joy or an artificially sustained life like a comatose patient on life support. One is truly living and the other is just being alive. Barely. It's like one is wonderful and the other is only a breath away from death. So join us today as we learn more about the life promised us in John 10.10, the abundant life found only in Christ, or as we call it, the higher Christian life, as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. On Tuesday, we've been going through John chapter 5. It seems like it's been hard to get out of it, and I didn't know why until this week. Part of it was the fact that I just felt that there was something else there, that there was something that the Lord wanted to show us that would kind of encourage us or move us or allow us to be the kind of people he wants us to be. For those of you who haven't been on Tuesday, let me give you a two-minute summary. John 5 begins with the healing at the Pool of Bethesda a lot involved in that. Jesus goes to this pool. There's a lot of people there. He goes up to one man who has no faith and basically asks him, do you want to get well? And the man makes an excuse. I, 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 nobody put me in the pool. If somebody put me in the pool, I would get well. But every time I go, somebody climbs over me. It's just not fair. It's not my fault. Jesus doesn't respond back to him. He simply just says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And he does. And then all of a sudden, conflict breaks out. The conflict breaks out from the Pharisees and the priests and at that particular point in time because what he did, he did on the Sabbath. Here's a man that was healed, been there forever, and the fact is that he was healed on the Sabbath is a terrible thing. And so it says in verse 16 that for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and wanted to kill him rather over the top for healing on the Sabbath. Nevertheless, that's what they wanted to do early in his ministry. This is just the fifth chapter of John. And then Jesus ratchets it up a notch. You want to kill me because I work on the Sabbath? Let me give you something else to kill me about. Let me go ahead and tell you in John chapter five that I am the son of God, that I am the Messiah. And every attribute that you apply to God the Father belongs to me. He starts in verse number 17. My father, ooh, that's rough. My father has been working until now, and I have been working, meaning I am equal to my father. Therefore, 18, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also that he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Jesus never denied that. He he continued to just pile on. And 
he talks about in verse number 20 that the father loves the son and shows all things to the son for the sole purpose that you may marvel at what God is doing. For the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to those whom he will. It's an election verse. It's a powerful verse. What you, Jesus, standing in front of us, give life to those that you will. Father doesn't judge anyone. Instead, he's given all the judgment to the son. And the reason is, verse number 23, that everybody will honor the father. Okay. It continues. Verse 24, he who believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and will not come into judgment. And then he says in verse 25, the hour is coming and now is, and then by the time we get to verse 28, he says, do not marvel after this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And it's just this amazing picture of who Christ is jam-packed in about seven verses that he spoke on the fly. This wasn't a prepared statement wasn't like he knew he was giving a presentation here. He just spoke it. And he talked about this resurrection from the dead, this resurrection to life and this resurrection to condemnation. And it reminded me of the first Bible story that God ever allowed to become real to me, alive to me. You know, I've shared with you, the scripture says the Bible is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and that we can learn to even get behind the story and experience the story more than just mentally, but emotionally and physically and, and spiritually at the same time. And this is the first time that ever happened. And it's the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. I won't go into it. You know the story. Jesus gets word when he's with the disciples, a far piece away from Bethany, that the person he loved is sick, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sister, send word to him. He waits two days before he heads back. He waits for Lazarus to die. The disciples didn't understand it, but they finally come back. And when they get back at that scene, uh, Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days. Dead and buried for four days. The, there's two, uh, two sisters here. One of them is like me. That's Martha. She's the organizer. She's the plotter. She's the one that wants to fix everything. And then there's Mary. Mary's the emotional one. Mary is the, the one that just stood at the foot of Jesus or, or, or sat at the foot of Jesus listening to what he said while Martha was busy in, doing the stuff in the kitchen to make sure everything was organized. And so it's Martha that comes out to meet Jesus, and she has an accusation. And the accusation was this. We had a prayer request. We had the worst thing that could ever happen to us happen. And you weren't here. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Well, Jesus says, your brother will rise again. I know he'll rise again at the end of days. I know he'll rise again in heaven. I know all that stuff, but it's not comforting me now. I'm suffering a loss Things are terrible. I don't know what we're going to do. Mary's in there just weeping. And I've come out to tell you that you weren't here when I needed you. And Jesus responded to her this way. Listen very carefully. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. After she said, you know, I understand about the last days. No, no, no. Right now, I'm not, I won't, I, it's not that I will be 
or I have been, I am currently, one of the I am statements, the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, just like your brother, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And here's the crux of it. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Do you believe what I'm saying is the truth? Can you look through your pain and disappointment and lack of what you wanted in your prayer life and see that's who I am? Can you? And of course, her response was, yes, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the one sent from God, kind of like Peter's response when Jesus said, who do the people say that I am? I am the resurrection and the life. I mean, look at the two key words here, resurrection and life. When we think of resurrection, we think of exactly what the word means. I am one who will raise you from the dead. I am one that will raise others from the dead. I am one that will take something that has no life in it anymore, that is worthless, and I will quicken it or breathe into it and turn it into something else and raise it from the dead. We had this resurrection of Lazarus. We have resurrection of a few other people in Scripture. We know the great resurrection at the end of time. Got that. But then when we see the word life, what do we think about? Resurrection, life. Life, oh, eternal life. That means we'll never die. We'll never have to be resurrected again. We died, we buried, now we're alive again. So life means just continual existence. Life means I'm going to live forever. Life means just the opposite of death that we've been resurrected from. Okay. But in this passage, if you'll notice, there's several different words that mean life. I am the resurrection and the life. Though a man may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe that? Yeah, I do. So I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, Lord, uh, I know. I just know. So I can't get past it that there's something else you want to show me in this teaching in John chapter 5. And all of a sudden, as I went to John chapter 11, it began to fit together. I looked at those three words. Oh, by the way, there are three words that um, mean live or life or, or lives or something of that nature. Um, the first one I'm just going to call zoo because I can't remember right now how to pronounce the word. The second one is zoe, which is pretty easy, or zoe, which is pretty easy to, to understand. People are named that. It's a common uh, Greek word for life. And then there's another one, a strange one, which is zao. We have zoe and zao, and then we have this kind of weird one that looks like zoo. All right, Lord, show me what you want to show me here. Okay, all right. Now, I'm not only going to show you, Steve, but I've prayed this week that God would give us something to encourage us, give us something to help us understand him better, give us something to help us live through tough times, live through personal tragedies, live through disappointments, and live through just unfulfilled expectations in the world we live, in our families that we have right now. And so this is what he shared. And I can't tell you how excited I am to share it with you. John chapter 5. I want you to understand as a foundation the importance of very small words. John 5, 24. And again, I, I, I shared, it took a whole session to just talk about the phrase most assuredly. 
Jesus uses it about seven or eight times in the book of John, and every time he does, he's given some sort of profound truth. Just like he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So we're going to begin in John chapter 24, where Jesus begins with this most assuredly. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, here's the requirement. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, oh, has. Not hope for, not maybe so, not someday in the future, but has everlasting life. The condition, hear your word, believe in the one who sent me, has everlasting, it's a promise. And he shall not come into judgment. Why? Because he has already completed action, present tense, passed from death to life. Just the small word has. It means we currently possess everlasting life. If you hear his word, which by the way, he is the only one that can open up your ears to his word because the word of Christ is foolishness and moronic. It's basically stupid to those who are lost, but those who are being saved, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God, such, as, such says Paul in 1 Corinthians. So when you hear his word, he's actually quickening that in you. He's giving you ears to hear. And so it's all part of the sovereign electing attribute of God. So he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, by the way, the faith that you have to believe in him comes from God. Because Paul says, no man seeks after God, no, not one, including me and including you. But I did seek after God because God gave you the faith to place in him. We've talked about that so many times in the past. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, present tense, everlasting life. Has life forever has life in the future with no end. And because of that shall not come in the judgment because that person has, present tense, already passed from death into life. We currently have everlasting life. We currently will no longer come into judgment and we currently have passed from death into life. But what kind of life is that? Is that just like on a continuum uh, of just mere existence? Is it a one-dimensional life, physical life? I have a body here, I die, I'm resurrected in a heavenly body, I go to heaven, I have some sort of heavenly resurrected physical body, doesn't really affect my psyche, doesn't really affect my soul or, or my spirit or anything like that, it's just physical life. Doing the same thing there, I'm doing here, or... Or the way God is, is in a multidimensional life. Does it touch on more aspects of our life than you and I care to even imagine? I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus Christ said that. I am. That's how he answered uh, her claim. If you would have been here, he would have not have died. He didn't make an excuse. He simply says, you don't know who I am. I am the resurrection. He's dead. I'm the resurrection. I can bring him out of the grave. I can give life to him. I am the solution to every problem you have, Martha. And it's invested in me. 
my nature, my attributes, my character, because I am God. You don't need to seek my hand. You need to just seek my face. I am currently, presently in your life, the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life. Now, I'm just sharing with you, maybe to help your own Bible study, your personal Bible study, what happened to me. So I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this and I kind of lean, sit back, and it was almost like I heard an admonition that said, here's what you need to do. Just consider these two words. Consider what they mean, resurrection and life. Right? Resurrection, we pretty much got it. And then I want you to figure out, Steve, in your life, the aspects of your life, the dimensions of your life, it's more than just physical, where these truths ring true, that Christ is the resurrection and the life. What dimensions of your life do you have? Well, um, eternal life. Yeah, we got that. We, we live forever. And instead of living here, we live in heaven. And I've heard people say, when I look, read the book of Revelation, everybody's sitting around the throne and praising and singing songs. I don't like to sing. Well, it's going to be boring. I don't like to worship here. Well, you're going to have a hard time in heaven. Are we going to get bored in heaven? Are we going to have these wings that we can fly around, explore everything to somehow satisfy our intellectual curiosity? I know there's no lights in heaven because the light comes from him. I, I, I can't even conceive what that is like. So eternal life is just this long time just today and tomorrow and the next day, but it'll be a better place than it is here. Then I turn around and look behind me and the continuum of eternal life just doesn't go in that direction, but as far as it is in that direction, infinity, it's already been in this direction and my mind's blown. Is it just the eternal life that you're the resurrection and life of? Or is it like a physical life? You know, my physical body here, I will die and I'll raise again. That'd be great. My lost loved ones have died and they're going to raise again. Lazarus died and he raised again only to die again. Is there more than that? Or could it be talking about maybe what comes with this life? Maybe as we've been talking about this abundant life, maybe this life of just sheer joy with him. I don't know. So what do you mean I am the resurrection and the life. So let's look at all three of these. In John chapter 5, um, these hidden nuggets that I discovered for myself that I'm sharing with you, um, the Lord showed me that have really made a profound difference in my life this week. I want you to know that God always does this. He'll tell you a story and he'll, you'll read it in scripture. And if you'll spend enough time on that, it's like there's this, this mother load of truth hidden right under the surface. And if you'll dig a little deeper and ask him to guide you, and where should I dig, Lord? Dig right here. He will open up things to you that your mind can't even contain because that's what a big God he is. So eternal life, the idea of election here, God's sovereign in everything, we find in verse number 21. For the Father raises the dead and gives life to them. Well, I understand that. He raises the dead at the end times. He raises the dead even for, to physical life. He even raises people from the dead who are dead on the inside and quickens life in them. I got that. But what God wants to, or what Jesus is trying to reveal to the Jews at that time is the attribute that the Father does 
I also do. The Father raises dead and gives life to them, even so the Son also, just like the Father, gives life to those whom he will. Well, what does that mean? I mean, what does that phrase even mean? So you look up the word, forgives life. And it's phenomenal. It's this word that uh, looks like a zoo on the front of it. Haven't really run across that word that much in Scripture. And Jesus is using that word in uh, very specifically, he's not just throwing it out haphazardly in verse number 21, talking about an attribute that the Father does that only the Son now does also. Whereas the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son, just like the Father, gives life to those whom he will. That's an election passage. We're not going to deal with that right now. Who he will. Father gives life, so does the Son. What kind of life is that? What does that word mean? And it just takes a little bit of study to determine that the gems are just laying right below the surface. Here's what this word means. Primarily in Scripture, you can look this up for yourself, it refers to raising from the dead, which is the context we're talking about here. The Father raises from the dead and gives life to those people he has raised from the dead, but it also refers to salvation, especially in Paul's writing, revealing a connection between the righteousness of God and life, life that is full, life is just supreme, it's, it's, it's God altogether revealing his life to us through salvation. There's a ton of passages I can show you this. I'm only going to show you two. First one is in Galatians, and I want you to see the same word being used for salvation. It's not a physical resurrection he's talking about. It's not some sort of emotional resurrection. Was, I was really down, but now I feel great. This is salvation, light and darkness, passing from death to life. Here's what he says in Galatians 3.21, talking about the law. He says, is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. Of course the law isn't against the promise of God. For if there would have been a law given which could have given life. Truly righteousness would have been by the law. You're trying to have eternal life by following the law, Paul says. And if it was possible for you to follow the law to get eternal life, then it would mean eternal life, salvation came by the law. Same word we're talking about here. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life, salvation to them, even so the Son gives life and salvation to anyone whom he will. Yeah, but that's how Paul used that word. Can you give me an example how Jesus used that word? Sure. John 6, 63. This passage is amazing. First of all, we have two spirits here. We have in this statement, we have the Holy Spirit, in your Bible that is capitalized, and then we have a small spirit. The word there is pneuma. The word means breath or wind. You know, if it's the Holy Spirit, it lets us know in context. If it's not, it's kind of like Jesus was saying in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, the Spirit is like the wind. It moves where it will. Okay. And not only that, we have life used twice. We have this life, the one we've been looking at dealing with salvation. And then there's another word for life right here. The second one that Jesus is using in the same statement. The same statement, this 
refers to a life like salvation, raising from the dead spiritually. And this, of course, I wonder what that word means. So here's what he says. It is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who gives life. Not physical life, but in the context here, using this Greek word, it is the Holy Spirit who gives salvation. It is the Holy Spirit who quickens you. It's the Holy Spirit who lives within you. Paul says that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of our future inheritance to come. It is the Holy Spirit who gives life, following the law, doing everything that you want to do. The flesh profits nothing. But the words that I speak to you are spirit. They move inwardly. They're not like something that you can sit back and debate. They're like the wind, where you can't see the wind, but you can feel the wind and see the effects of the wind. And they are zoe. They are life. So obviously this doesn't mean salvation because this is the word that talks about salvation and this obviously means something else. It is the most common word in the New Testament for life. And it refers to physical life, physical life uh, and existence as opposed to death and non-existence. My word gives life, eternal life, physical life, existence beyond the grave. And it says nothing about the quality of life. It says nothing about the, uh, it does say a lot about the longevity of life. It's eternal life. It's everlasting life. But it doesn't say anything about the type of life that you live. Which brings us now to, again, this word. Very common one, physical. We, uh, we see this in several places. I'll just go through this kind of quick. We see this in verse number 28 and 29 of John chapter 5. And here's what he says. Do not marvel at this. We're going to come back to what we talked about marveling at. The hour is coming. Not now. Doesn't exist right now. But there's a day in the future when all who are in the grave will hear his voice. And to come forth, those who've done good to the resurrection of life. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. There's a point in time in the future where everybody in the grave, good, bad, will hear the voice of God. There'll be a resurrection that takes place. Some of those people will go to a resurrection of life. Some of those people go to a resurrection of condemnation. They'll go to an extended existence forever. And that it will either be in heaven or that place will be in hell. At some point in time in the future, verse number 28, for the time is coming that they will receive eternal life and be with the Lord, or they will receive eternal life, existence versus non-existence, and be in a place of condemnation and torment. We know one is heaven, and we know one is hell. Got that. That's what the word zoe means. That may make sense. It means existence versus non-existence. It doesn't talk about the quality of life. So therefore, Jesus has to talk about this resurrection, this resurrection to longevity. And then he talks about in this longevity, where you're going to spend your time, either with him or with the enemies of him. Okay. So what about that other word? And this is where it gets amazing. We began in verse number 24 of John chapter 5. I skipped down to verse 28 and 29. What I left between that was the second most assuredly. 
And you find that in John 5, 25. And look what he says. And most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming. Watch this. And now is. Oh, so, okay. So the zoe, the common phrase for life, is about a future event when we die and are resurrected to a life either with him or are in hell. I, I got that because everybody will be raised from the dead. Everybody will receive different kind of bodies and some will go into bliss and some won't. But now it's talking about an event that takes place presently that it's not only in the future, but it's also right now. So it affects us right now. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. And if you notice, that is not zoe. That's a totally different word the Lord is using here. They'll not live just long lives but they will live what? I mean, what, what, what does it mean? I'm reading it in the English and it's just life and live, that they will live. Okay, I'm assuming that means they'll live forever. They'll, they'll live happy lives. They'll just be those kind of people. But it says here that the hour is coming and now is. So whatever's happening with this word can happen now, should be happening now, because it was happening 2,000 years ago to those people Jesus was talking about. And so therefore, it should be happening to us too. What in the world does that word mean? It's really simple. This word means how you live your life. It means how you pass your life, the manner of life, the certain way in which you live it. In other words, one word means like salvation. The other word means like physical existence versus non-physical existence, whether it's here or in heaven or in hell. This word means the quality, the type, the manner in which you live. But it also means, it has two term definitions. It also means to live under God and be devoted to him, or literally it means to live a life characteristic of a resurrected life. Oh, so, so a resurrected life, resurrected in him, would be like Zoe, but now we're talking about what that life is like after we're resurrected, after we're taken out of, passed from death into life, after the Holy Spirit comes to live with us. And by implication, in the definition of this word, it means to live, to be blessed, to prosper, to have a life that is satisfied in him. I don't want to take liberties with the text or with the definition of the Greek, so I'm going to tell you that this phrase is mine. This is my interpretation. You want to sum it all up, it's talking about an abundant life. It's talking about a life in Christ right now. The day is coming and now is, where those who hear the voice will live. They'll live a life that they're satisfied in God. They'll live a life devoted to God. They'll live a life transformed by God. They'll live a life where he blesses and he prospers, even though for a season we may, may go through various trials and tribulations. So um, in, in just this, in just this off-the-cuff they confront me, I turn, I'm having a discussion with them. He didn't plan this out. 
He didn't sit down and write all these points out and I have a prepared speech. Thank you very much. Pop, pop, pop on the microphone. It's not what it was. He was communicating to them. And in that communication to them, he's using various Greek words to communicate the depth of the message he wants us to have. And it's more than just life. Living forever, the opposite of death. Talks about the quality of life. Look how else Jesus uses this. John chapter 4, he's at the well with the Samaritan woman and they're having a conversation about water. And uh, she's going there to get water and they're having this debate about which mountain should they worship on and she's a lost woman and she's been married several times and she's living in an adulterous relationship with a man right now and Jesus is talking to her about the kind of life, the manner of life, the, the quality of life that he offers her, not just length of years, but everything. And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God, you really understood the blessing you're about to receive and who it is that says to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, me, Jesus says, and he would have given you living water. Not Zoe water, but Zeo water. He would give you the kind of water that characterizes your life like a resurrected life. He would have given you this abundant life. This life that would transform every problem that you have, every mistake that you've made, all the shame and guilt that weighs you down. He would resurrect you from that, raise you up from that like a phoenix out of the, the ashes of, of, of his life and give you something you don't have right now. We read this in the English, living water. Okay, I guess that means like it, I don't know, it's flowing, it moves. I, I don't know what that means. And we move on. But Jesus is specifically choosing his words well. Has an account where a man comes up to him and says, good Lord, uh, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, keep the law. Well, which one? And he says, lays all these out. You know, do this and that and the other and all that kind of stuff. And he says, I've tried to keep those from my youth. And Jesus said this, okay, you've answered rightly. You're trying to keep the things that you can't do. But if you do, you will have an abundant life. Not that you will have eternal life. That's given. But your life will have a quality to it. Your life will, there'll be a manner of life that is different. He specifically chose this word rather than just the common word for life. Even when he was confronting Satan, when Satan was tempting him to use his own supernatural powers to turn stones into bread. The Lord says, listen, this is not about my physical life. You know, the flesh profits nothing. This is about my spiritual life and following God's will. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Not physically live, this is not Zoe. But man shall not have the manner of his life, the focus of his life, the goals of his life to just eat bread and survive. There's a higher life that's involved here. And that higher life is found by following every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, which is exactly what Jesus is doing. So we go back to John 11. I want you to watch this very closely. John 11. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
I am the resurrection and the life, present tense. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We read that in most commentaries and most, I know in my own mind, every time I read it, I just default to the life, the easy life, it's eternal life, it's life forever, and he'll be raised from the dead because I'm just seeing things on the surface. But there's deeper meaning here. Watch. I am the resurrection and the zeal. Wow, it's not, it's not Zoe. It's not resurrection and extended life forever. It's not resurrection and life as opposite of non-life. It's I am the resurrection and the quality of life. I am the resurrection and the abundant life. I am the resurrection and the kind of life that you have your life living under me, a life that is blessed, a life that is that is honored, a life that draws you closer to me. I am a life that you can't even imagine. I just didn't raise you from the dead for you to be the same person living the same life just longer. I raised you from the dead to be different, to be better, to be like me. And he clearly says that in the text he uses. I am the resurrection and the life. But to answer your question, Martha, about your brother who is dead, he who believes in me, though he may die, like he has, he shall live. Because we're promised this resurrection from the dead. But Jesus didn't use that phrase in the first statement, I am the resurrection and I'll let you live forever. But I am the resurrection and you will not only live forever, but you will live abundantly. You will, I will raise you up from everything that has held you back. I will raise you up and impart my truth into you so that you will be a changed person. That's the promise here. And then he goes back to the good news. And whoever lives, that's Zeo. That's not Zoe. Now we go back to what he says in the first statement. And whoever lives this abundant life, whoever lives this life of communion with him, whoever has this peace that passes understanding, whoever has these promises and these attributes that come from having a holy God living in you and believes in me, he shall never die. Physical death, spiritual death, a life of, I mean, what do we mean by die? Is it just a like the physical time, he shall live, though he may die, he shall live. Or, or since we're now talking about the manner of life, could the death be the opposite of that? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And of course, Martha said, yes. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. In other words, I believe you do anything you want. I'm going to take your word at everything that you say. I don't know if she got the intricacies of the words that he used, probably, because it was their common language at that time. But I know I haven't gotten it. And I've studied this chapter 20 times. And all of a sudden I realized that when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, it means more than just physical life. It means what holds me down, the guilt, 
the shame, the fear, the, the failure, the lack of success, the, the mistakes I've made with my family or with my friends or, or all the stuff that just, just keeps me in a cocoon, that keeps us ashamed. We don't want to share our light because somebody will point out the, hypocr- the hypocrisy in our own life and we won't know what to do. All the stuff that keeps us from being who he wants us to be. When he says, I am the resurrection and the zoe, He's saying that I will raise you up from all of that and give you this manner of life, this way to live with me, empowered by me, that will change everything, everything. So I have a couple of questions I want to close with. Can you see the difference between these two words? It's the difference between really living and just being alive. It's a difference between being used by the Lord in a tremendous way and praying and seeing things happen or being in a comatose state on an artificial way of keeping you alive in some hospital bed where, yes, you're physically alive, you're Zoe or you're Zoe, but you're not really living. And when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life, he didn't say, I'm the resurrection and I'm going to keep you alive physically for as long as you want. He says, when I raise you up, I raise you up to a new life. I raise you up to a powerful life. I raise you up to a life that others will see me in you. Or as we've been talking about, this abundant life. The very nature of who Christ is, and one of those seven I am statements, is to do that. Now, here's the dilemma. You either see it or you don't. Literally, you either see it or you don't. You see the promise here, that this, this hidden promise to us today. I'm sure it wasn't hidden to her. And, you know, it's like when Jesus says, he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. Do you hear? Do you see what the resurrection is all about? What the resurrection does? And not only like at Easter time, and not only... Um, pays the penalty for our sins, and we should just be giddy about that all the time. But instead, it gives us this life that the world would be jealous of because we have an ability to commune, literally living in us with God Almighty, the creator of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, which should transcend everything. It's not just out there. It's here right now. Well, I, um, I first got saved and I got all excited about it. I knew God was going to do some incredible things. And, and then some of my old habits kicked back in and you know, I started hanging around with some old friends and my light kind of dimmed. And, you know, then my wife left me and, you know, I hadn't had a good relationship with her and my kids or, you know, my job and I've been up and down. And, and now I'm older and I sit back and I go, you know what, uh, I, I, I believe those promises back then but I have basically allowed the world to define who I am. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I will raise you from where you are right now, and I will set you on the high ground, on the solid rock, and I will instill in you the kind of life that you've always wanted to have because it's my nature. It's what I've done for you. Nothing will prevail against you because you are my child. If you remember correctly, the first thing Jesus told the people to do when Lazarus came out of the tomb, 
Lazarus come forth, and here comes this man, the stinking man, who'd been in this tomb with dead bodies for four days, and the first thing he told him was get rid of those grave clothes. Dump the things on him, this alive, resurrected person that belongs in the tomb. There's no need to carry that around anymore. That's not who you are. Well, you know, I've had all my opportunities, and Opportunities are over right now. Maybe when I was a young man, things would be different. No, I am, present tense, currently the resurrection and the life. All you need is for me to reach out and touch you and change you and move you in a different direction. I can take whatever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, and raise it from the dead and make it brand new and fresh and give you the daily relationship with me, not just eternity in heaven. Time is coming and now is, if you'll just listen to my voice and hear me. And if I do, whatever happens in this stupid, crazy world, what do we care? Because our God is sovereign. Amen? Let me pray.